All right, good morning. Oh, great to see all of you. Uh, I want to share with you some uh, pictures of some bad counterfeits. I don't know why they all are in Asia, okay? But just with your neighbor, once the picture shows up, if you can just share with your neighbor quietly, like, oh, what it's intended to be, okay? So here we go. The first one is this one, okay? Well, it's supposed to be the Avengers, right? But I didn't know they had a new member of the Avengers, okay? The second one, what is this? Yeah, you want to say Superman, but it's not. It's Special Man, okay? Next one. This is a little simple. If you want to wash your body, you could use Olay or OK, okay? Next one. You love pizza, you want to grab a bite at Pizza Hull, okay? Maybe you need some imitation butter. So I like this. This is my favorite. What is this supposed to be? <laughs> Unbelievable that this is not butter. I know Christmas is coming up, so maybe you want to buy a few presents. So this is the, the Shrek backpack, okay? And the next one is, if you wanted a wee, just be careful you don't get a wee wee, okay? <laughs> well, I share that because of this. Um, you know, bad counterfeits should never replace authentic, genuine ones, right? And Jesus shows up in Mark 11. And he's not happy because what he sees as he walks into the temple is a counterfeit version of what the temple was intended to be. So he creates this big scene. He's tossing tables. Uh, you know, another gospel shows that he brings out a whip and he starts whipping people. And so he causes this great scene because even though he's about to die, he just entered what we call the triumphal entry, right? He entered on a donkey. But before he leaves, dies resurrects and he leaves this earth. He takes time because this is so important to address the counterfeit reality of the temple. And so this morning, I want to look into what it was intended to be, what it became, and why it matters to any of us sitting here today who have never maybe walked into a temple before. Okay? So that's where we're going. Okay? You guys excited? Okay. All right. We're catching on. Okay. Okay. Here we go, the first one. What the temple was intended to be. So if you look at verse 15, it says this. And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple. I want you to stop right there. Jerusalem was the center of the religious system of the day. And so if that was the center, the temple was the focal point of that center. So it was literally the crux of religious experience in that day. So what God had intended was that people would be able to come and experience the presence of God. And this was not just for the Jews. It was meant for even the foreigners, right? So if you look at Isaiah 56, 6 through 8, so we're going to read that. It's going to be shot up there. God wanted to gather not just the Jews, but even foreigners outside of that race. And it says this, and the foreigners who joined themselves to the Lord, to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it, and holds fast my covenant. These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful. Okay, keep that in mind. In my house of prayer, their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house should be called a house of prayer for who? For all peoples. 
The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. So the temple was not just for the Jews. It was a place for even foreigners who are seeking the Lord to be able to come. And it was supposed to be a place of joy, a place where they offer sacrifices and experience the love and forgiveness and grace and mercy of God. So I'm going to show you a little picture of what the temple looked like just so you get kind of a picture, right? Do we have that, Scott? Okay. So that outer sandy area is the outer court. That was meant for the foreigners. And so they were intended to come in there and to experience the grace and love of God. But what ended up happening is that sandy area wasn't a place where people were coming to experience God. It became a zoo. So it leads us to point two. What they were experiencing and what it actually became, not what God intended, was that it became a place of commerce and a place of shadiness and of business practices that were mal. It was evil because everyone was required to bring a sacrifice, especially in the week of Passover. And so what the Jews did is they use this for their own agenda to make a big profit. So what they ended up doing is you couldn't bring your own animal sacrifice, so they would jack up the price of the animals that they were selling there, so everyone that was a foreigner would come and buy these jacked up priced animals. Not only that, foreign currency wasn't accepted. So if you brought foreign currency and you're an outsider, the exchange rate was jacked up, so you were paying more. Not only that, on top of that, there was a temple tax that everyone had to pay. So when you're there, you're trying to go there to experience God, to offer sacrifices, to find forgiveness, and to experience the grace of God. And the only thing you're experiencing is shadiness, feeling kind of ripped off. Have you ever had that feeling? Because I have. Every time I go to Disneyland, I feel this way. Okay? Because I go in there and my, my job is to be happy, I want my kids to be happy, but I just paid like $2,000 for this membership. Or if you came for one day, you paid a ton of money. You go in there. The corn dog is amazing, but it's 10 bucks. Popcorn is amazing, but it's 15 bucks. And then you're walking away. What's worse than Disneyland is like the OC fair. It's the worst. Right, you pay to get in, and then you got to pay for every ride. And then you're like, I pay more than Disneyland. That is what these people are experiencing. So instead of experiencing happiness and the joy of being there, or for the people here, the outsiders, experiencing the love of God, they were walking away thinking like, what did I just go through? I didn't experience God. I experienced some sort of weird, shady business practice. So you can understand why Jesus is so angry. And he starts throwing things. Let's take a look at the verse itself. It says this, in verse 15. He began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers, right? We talked about foreign currency. And the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, is it not written? My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. But you have made it a 
den of robbers. Does that make sense now why he would call this place that was supposed to be the intersection of God and his people a den of robbers? That's never good. If God calls our church a den of robbers, that's not good. We got some stuff we got to clean up. But you can understand why. Because when you understand what Jesus is experiencing as he's walking into these outer courts of the temple, he's not happy. Because what God had intended is not what is occurring. Now, the most beautiful thing about this is even though it was broken, okay? Now, this is the most beautiful part about this. When you follow the Gospels, you start realizing that Jesus becomes the replacement for the temple, right? If you look at John 2, 19 through 21, this is kind of our third point. Jesus said, destroy this temple, talking about the temple, right? And in three days, I'll raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple. Will you raise it up in three days? And then John, obviously knowing this, narrates, says, but Jesus was speaking, not specifically about the temple itself, but the temple of his body. So Jesus Christ becomes the sacrifice once and for all, so we don't have to make animal sacrifices anymore, and now we can come. Did you know the reason why you can walk into what we call the presence of God in Stonegate without bringing an animal is because of what Jesus has done for us? And let's think about it. If I had to bring an animal every Sunday, that would ruin my morning. How about you? I don't want to bring no sheep, right? In the back of my car, I'd be like, I got to go meet God. The reason why you're not doing that is because Jesus loves us and he died for us. The reason why you can walk into Stonegate, what we call the presence of God is here, without fear is because of what Jesus has done for us. Amen? The reason why we can come and meet with him, not just at Stonegate, but in your closet, in your car, is because of what Jesus has done for us. Uh, What I'm preaching on, actually, I borrowed straight from the Bible, so hopefully that's forgivable. If you look at Hebrews 9, if you get a chance this week, I want you to read through Hebrews 9, because this is what this whole sermon is about. In Hebrews 9, I want to read just a short excerpt. In verse 24, it says this, For Christ has entered... Not into holy places made with hands, not man stuff, which are what? Counterfeits, they're copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Amen. This is what the church is now. Because of what Jesus has done, it changes everything. We don't have to deal with the Old Testament sacrificial system, but we can come into his presence. See, Jesus not only came to save us from sins, but Jesus came to save us from broken religious systems. 
And so we can come in freedom. See, I want you to understand something. Church activity without true intimacy and a true relationship with Christ does nothing. And that's what the temple was creating. So that people would kind of experience that and walk away, think to themselves, I guess that's what I, I did my Sunday thing. I did my Passover thing. But that does nothing without a true deep intimacy and a relationship with Christ. So Jesus replaces the temple. So what are we to do with this? What's the proper response? Well, if you look at verse 18 and 19, you would turn there real quick. We see that there is an improper response, right? If you look here, and the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him for they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. These Jewish leaders who knew better, instead of repenting and trying to figure out a way, they want to get rid of Jesus because what Jesus is doing is he's ruining the balance that they created. He's ruining the life rhythm that they were comfortable with. See, for us, the proper response is to let Jesus come in and to shake up and cleanse us if there is a balance that we have, but it's not godly and it's not what God intended for our lives, then we need to let him walk in and cleanse us. Let him take away certain things that don't belong so that we can walk in the fullness of what God has for us today. I want to challenge us. Here, when you recognize how much Christ has sacrificed and what it means that we can come into his presence, we should be pursuing Christ and living life and worshiping him and pursuing that relationship of intimacy with him, I mean, aggressively, because we understand what it costs for us to come into his presence. And don't we do that? When we understand the value, we treat it differently. Like, for example, I lost my wedding ring like twice already because it costs nothing. I mean, it means a lot. Don't get me wrong. It means a lot to me. It's very meaningful. But this was a throw-in. When we bought my, my wife's, my first one that I lost, it was a throw-in because I bought her and it had like a few diamonds and so hers was a little bit more pricey. So they're like, pick whatever you want from this batch here. And so I was like, okay, whatever. I picked it. And now because of that, I don't value it. Every time I work out, I would just take it out and put it, and I just lost it. This one is 30 bucks. I lost this one too. And then somehow later on, I found it, Okay. But because it doesn't cost much, but my wife, she takes off her ring twice a day. I know this, okay? I know how much I pay for that thing, right? She takes it off when she washes the dishes or when she showers. I am keenly aware, I don't know how, of where that ring is every single time. Because I understand the value. It's a silly example. But I want you to understand something. For us to be here and to just kind of come as we are and to be fully accepted and loved by God, it costs his son everything. And when we devalue that, you will walk flippantly into this room. But when we value and when we understand the cost and the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ, then each and every opportunity that we have to enter into his presence changes. It radically changes as we come in with thanksgiving and with joy. And we come in 
pursuing Christ and engaging fully in this time. Not because it's something religiously we do, but because Christ is everything to us. I want to challenge you with that. Especially in the area of prayer. He calls it the house of prayer. Because prayer really signifies you're trusting the Lord and you're walking with him. So I want us to be men and women who are praying. That our church is prayerful. And in our daily lives, we pray. I love Samuel Chadwick. He says this. The one concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying. Can we get that quote up? Okay, thank you. The devil fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. The devil laughs at our toil, mocks our wisdom, but trembles when we pray. Because when we pray, God is involved. When we don't pray, we're just trying to do everything on our own. And it just doesn't make any sense. And so may we as Christians be people that trust in the Lord and we walk with him. And so prayer is the fabric of what we do. Secondly, kind of a takeaway, the church, the New Testament temple, we need to be careful that we don't set up artificial constructs that are man-made to feel accepted and loved by God here. Okay? Um, this kind of a silly example, but hopefully you'll follow me. Um, how many of you guys are married and have kids? Do you mind raising your hands? Most of the room, right? And that's not a bad thing or a good thing. It's just, this is kind of where we are as a church. And I don't know if you've ever done this, but as you speak to someone who doesn't have kids or who's not married particularly, that man or that, that woman, sometimes, and it's not with ill intent, but I'll do this too. I'll be like, hey, when are you getting married? Right, have you ever done that? I have, right? Hey, like, what's going on? There's apps and stuff. You should pursue it. Like, I mean, you're like... You're like really, you know, hey, you're just doing stuff. Or it's like, hey, how come you don't have kids? I have five. You don't, like, I mean, you don't. And we do this, right? Now, I'm not saying there's, you're doing it with ill intent. But see, somehow, that can become an artificial construct where people that are single or don't have kids, maybe they can't have kids. Maybe they have the gift, right? We call it a gift of celebration, not the curse of singleness. What if they have that? But all of a sudden, that pressure and that sort of artificial construct and conversation, people can walk away thinking like, you know what? They preached from the pulpit that Christ is everything. And if I have Christ, that's everything. But I walk away feeling like I am incomplete because I'm not married or I don't have kids. That is an artificial construct where people can come to church and not experience God or feel less than because of something that is man-made. And we need to be careful. It's as simple and as slight as those things, where all of a sudden now the eye and the attention comes off God and it becomes about man-made things. And it could be anything. And let me just tell you, being an Asian who grew up, and I didn't have an Asian friend until junior high, I know what it feels like to feel like an outsider because of something that is just moronic and dumb. I was made fun of my, my because they called I had, uh, you know, small eyes or they would do that, you know. I was made fun of all the time. Even my wife still makes fun of me. She has big eyes, so she still makes fun of my... She doesn't know how much that scars me. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, but I don't know about you, but have you ever been felt like an outsider because of something that is just so dumb? That is man-made. And may God cleanse our church if some people walk in here and experience that because of something that we do that is man-made and not God-intended. Because it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what life experience you're a part of. It doesn't matter what you've done. The fact is, is we can come into the temple because Christ has died for us and we should all be able to experience the love of God in the most deep and intimate way. Amen? And I just pray that we would never be a hindrance to that. And that we would always be prayerful, asking the Lord to make sure that he's cleansing our New Testament temple here. To make sure that we are setting up and doing church as God intended the church to be. It's not easy. Because I'll just be frank. We're all broken. And sometimes, you know, even for me as the pastor, maybe I heard one of you by saying something silly, by joking around. And we need, to, we need to ask God for forgiveness and ask him to cleanse each and every one of us because it is that important that we represent God because the bride of Christ, Jesus died and gave everything for it. And may we value it that much and care for it that much because I would honor God. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for, man, uh, the audacity that you had to do this. And at first, maybe it shocks us that you would flip tables in the house of God but you felt it was important enough to reveal the wrong and to center it upon what is right. And so for all of us here, would you do a work in each and every one of us that we individually, as the temple of God, and as a corporate body here, that we would represent you well, that we would be humble enough to allow you to cleanse what is happening here, God. We thank you so much. In your name we pray. Amen.